So I was tagged a bunch in this person's videos and I was asked if I could go and fact check his claim that for most of human history, the words for God and self meant the same thing. And I was tagged a bunch in this person's video. Let's see it. Words for God and self meant the same thing. Here's a 5,000 year old word for God, which comes from the root word Atma, which means self, and Para, which means highest. Altogether, Paramatma, meaning the highest part of the self. 5,000 years ago. 5,000 years ago, Sanskrit didn't exist. It was still Proto-Indo-Aryan. <laughs> so I don't blame him for making this mistake because it's incredibly hard to navigate the misinformation that was spawned during and after the British imperialization of India. During their conquest, British archaeologists discovered evidence for a continuous Indian civilization that spanned many thousands of years. For instance, we now know that from the time of Ashoka to the Indus Valley Civilization, Brahmi was used as a script to write Sanskrit, among other languages. And we find a slow evolution from Indus Valley signs to Brahmi in various graffiti marks, sometimes at the same time. So if you're an imperialist trying to conquer a nation, you can imagine that it's pretty hard to oppress a populace that knows that they're a civilization which has existed much longer than their oppressors has. <laughs> to circumvent this, it's pretty obvious that Britain underwent serious measures to try to suppress the culture and history of India. In fact, consciousness surrounding India is still recovering from its effects to this day, including in academia. This effect even has a name called the Indian Inferiority Complex. But perhaps this is especially most true when it comes to dating their language. And would have been pronounced as Parahatma. Man, if only we had an ancient Sanskrit text to tell us exactly how it's pronounced. Oh yeah, this Panini's Ashtadhyayi, which precisely lays out the five places of articulation, producing the five root vowels, together with the seven modifications, producing the 35 consonants, and finally the Sandhi rules, which tell us how the other diphthongs are made. And altogether, you're making sounds that are not in that table. In fact, you're even making the sacred Jivamulya sound, which is only pronounced during Vedic recitation, in between a Visarga and a guttural consonant of which there are neither in that word. But even then, it was certainly not a word for God. That, as a philosophical concept, did not emerge until at the earliest, the Upanishads of the 9th to 6th centuries BCE. Oh, you mean the Upanishads, which explains on the first page, and I quote, such terms as God cannot be adequately explained by historical research. While the Western scholars have generally interpreted the teachings by that of historical and critical method, which inevitably nullifies much of their spiritual warmth and significance. Though my critic is actually making a mistake that's so common it's being warned about on the second paragraph of this translation of the Upanishads. It also couldn't be more of an understatement that the philosophical equivalence between God and the self emerged in the Upanishads. I Quote, the identity of God and the soul, Atman, is the fundamental thought of the entire doctrine of the Upanishads. And in fact, most of the first chapter of this Upanishad talks about how Western scholars fail to adequately date the Vedas and Upanishads. I quote, Western thinkers are inclined to assign to a later and highly developed stage of human thought. They do not admit any of them to be earlier than the 11th century BC, while to many are assigned a much later date. Meanwhile, the orthodox belief is that the Upanishads and Vedas coexisted, and that all parts of the the Vedas were revealed at the same time, though the various collections might have been compiled in different periods. And it's also well known that the Vedas and the Upanishads were an oral tradition for hundreds to many thousands of years before their compilation date. So to talk about the compilation date as the start of that concept is ridiculous because it's irrelevant to the fact that it was an oral tradition for much longer. So picture this, you're a villager living 5,000 years ago, and you don't say, 
I believe that God created the world. You say, I believe that the highest part of the self created the world. Again, 5,000 years ago was way before even the earliest portions of the Rig Veda. Perhaps my critic would care to watch this video by Professor Gaya Charan Tripathi, where he explains how to properly date the Rig Veda while avoiding the misinformation. If you're curious, he arrives at a date much earlier than my 5,000-year-old estimate. <laughs> so we have to go and crank the time forward a little bit to see what sort of creation myths existed within these groups of people. And we actually find quite a lot both in how the world was made and by whom. Some say that it is the result of a cosmic battle, others by just the mere act of separating the heavens from the earth, and some even question the nature of creation at all. And then, of course, in terms of the gods who did it, we have such variants as Indra, um, Varuna, Prajapati, and even Purusha, the great primeval male. He's trying to make it seem like back then in India, people believed in a bunch of different gods and creation myths, which if you know enough about Hinduism, you know that's just not how East Eastern polytheism works. In the Vedas, they speak of only one being responsible for the creation of the universe. However, that being has various qualities that are personified by the various devas under different names. The Vedas clearly teach, and I quote, the non-duality of the Godhead and the harmony of religions. In fact, let me quote directly from the Vedas. In the creation myth, the non-existent was not then, nor was the existent. The earth was not, nor the firmament, nor that which is beyond. When there was nothing then, what could cover what? And where and in whose care did the waters and the bottomless deep then exist? There was no death nor immortality then. There was no sign of night nor day. That one breathed without extraneous breath with his own nature. Other than him, there was nothing beyond. It's also not very much of a myth, as it is sort of an abstract description of a beginning of time that presumably even scientists would agree in reference to some void or singularity. It's just that this is a little bit more poetic. That seems to be related to Umir in the uh, Norse myths, who gets dismembered and has his body parts um, representing different areas of the world. I believe that the highest part of the self created the world, for there is no word for God other than this. <laughs> okay, I actually thought people might be confused by what I said, because I did not say it well. Which is why I tried to correct that with a momentary text on screen. What I was very poorly trying to say is that you wouldn't use the English word for God. Because, you know, English didn't exist, and there was no word God then. So everything he says to this, I totally agree with. Look at the way this guy smiles. <laughs> As he lies to you, straight to your face. No word for God other than this. Are you kidding me? The word for God in Sanskrit was Deva, which is related to the Latin word Deus, as we can find, for instance, on the Duenos inscription. However, when we're talking about the creator of the universe, the technical Sanskrit term is Maheshvara. So in such a context, you actually wouldn't use the term Deva, because Devas are qualities that are created by Maheshvara. Instead, in such a context, you would use a word such as Paramatma or Brahman, which are both identified with the self. So, it's actually only relatively recently due to... Uh, 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 this is not like a novel idea. Correct. Religion is always shaped by the political sphere in which it resides. Yeah, exactly. This is like sociology 101. Which is why you knew exactly what I meant, even though I didn't say it. I wasn't trying to make a novel point. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry, what do you mean? The earliest hymns of the Rig Veda were commissions. What? By a king to a bunch of priests to say, hey, make a bunch of songs that will bless me and give me great fortune and I will give you money. And they were like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. And that was the Rig Veda. <laughs> 
For the most part, I know where he's coming from in all of these criticisms, but that part in particular, I have no idea where he got this from, and someone please enlighten me. What are you talking about? Because even the most conservative scholars agree that the Vedas are a series of mantras culminated after meditation or some other spiritual practice. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, kings don't commission Brahmins to go meditate. <laughs> anyway, the Vedas are divided into two parts known as the Karmakanda and the Jnanakanda. The first deals with materialistic aspects and the second, which is the most influential part of the Vedas, is concerned with the knowledge through which one is liberated through ignorance. The philosophical side of the Vedas which form the Upanishads. In fact, the materialistic side of the Vedas which were practiced by kings and warriors were shunned by the Brahmins because they were secondary to the philosophical components. Anyway, I can't help notice that my critic is a lot like the story of Kali. She became famous by being called into action to fight enemies, but her rage consumed her and started destroying even those that were not her enemies. The same is true for my friend who is known for deconstructing misinformation. But when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Short Cast Club